wherever you can find your OutSports podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Don't really care where you find the show. We just care that you download and listen to the show. And if you're feeling extra generous, please feel free to leave a review in the iTunes store. What a week here in this country of ours as protests continue to take place across the country. Millions of people taking to the streets to protest police police brutality and racial injustice. And we have on, I think, the perfect guy to talk about it all and to help us sift through everything. We bring on Akil Patterson, who is a longtime member of our extended Outsports family. He's a former college football player. He played his ball at the University of Maryland. He went on to become a Greco-Roman wrestler. Uh, He came out to us here at Outsports in 2010, and he has quite a story. Ever since then, he's been involved in advocacy work, government work, currently living in the city of Baltimore. He recently ran to become the first openly gay person to ever serve on Baltimore City Council. He did not win his election, but there were a lot of voting irregularities in Baltimore City elections this year, elections in the state of Maryland as a whole. It was largely a male voting election. Ballots didn't go out on time. Missing votes. It was just a total, total mess, and they're still sifting through all of that. So we start off the interview by catching up with Akil, asking him about the campaign, about the mess in Maryland and Baltimore this past week with the mail-in ballots, and how that could be a scary harbinger for what may happen in a lot of states in this country come November. So we spend the first few minutes diving into that, and then we get into the events of the week. George Floyd's killing, the protests, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, the history of of police brutality, systemic racism, and what I think is really the best stuff that we talked about with Akil is how to fix it. Akil has actual solutions on how to fix this stuff, actual solutions on how to address police brutality, including a federal proposal he's working on that would involve black athletes with police training. Uh, it's a great idea, an innovative idea. It's what we need at this time. So very excited to get to my conversation with Akil Patterson, who obviously, as a black man in America, a black gay man in America, has a far greater perspective on this than I do. So I'll try to keep my blabbering to a minimum here in the open. But I would just like to say that right now, as a white person, I think the best thing we can do, and what I've been trying to do, is use this as a time for some introspection. I mean, this is really a time to think about your privilege and what you can do to level the playing field. Whether that's give a small donation, be a loud voice, take part in a demonstration, expand your social circle, which we talked about last week. Do what you can, but do something. And do some thinking as well. And that's why Drew Brees' comments this week about the national anthem, I just thought were so awful. I mean, how can you be alive at this moment in history? Be a sentient human being. Have a brain in between your two ears. And possibly still think that kneeling during the national anthem is disrespectful to the flag. I mean, how can you still think that? How can you still think, after watching what we've seen, 
obviously throughout our nation's history, but let's just zero into the last two weeks. Since George Floyd's killing by Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, since then, how can you say that Colin Kaepernick was being disrespectful to the country when he was kneeling during the national anthem? How can you possibly say that? And I know Breeze apologized. I didn't love the apology. I wrote about it at OutSports. I thought it was a cop-out. I thought he couched his words. He said he's sorry about the way his comments were perceived. People were misled about what he believes. No, we heard you the first time. And then he has that crap about my grandfather fought in the military. As Richard Sherman pointed out, you don't think any of the black players kneeling also had grandparents or parents who fought in the military as well? As Michael Wilbon said on ESPN this week, his grandfather fought in World War II and then came back and was told to ride in the back of the bus. You know, came back and was not given, uh, you know, access to the GI Bill. Uh, you know, redlining. I mean, go on down the line about the atrocities that our black veterans faced after coming home from war in the 20th century. So, so don't even t- talk to me about that. That is so lame. That is such an. It sounds like a talk radio caller, basically, and just I just I just can't understand how you can be alive in this period and still say that kneeling during the anthem is disrespectful. You know what I think is disrespectful to the flag? Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes and killing him. That is disrespectful to the country. The Minneapolis police force uh, using force seven, you know, more likely to use force seven times more likely to use force against people of color than white people. That is disrespectful to the country. Uh, so just beyond tone deaf, Drew Brees' comments, and we'll see what happens. I, I think it's changing in the sports world, too. You're seeing a lot of white athletes stand up alongside their black peers and black teammates, which you didn't see a couple years ago when uh, the kneeling was happening with Kaepernick and everything else. So maybe this time around, we'll see everybody take part because that's what you need to enact change. You need everybody to take part. And I wrote about it this week. That's why I marched in one of the protests here in Boston on Sunday because I wanted to be part of history for myself I wanted to witness it for myself. I didn't want to be caught eating brunch while history marches by like those people we saw in New York City last weekend. And I'm so glad I went to a demonstration in Boston this week. It was beautiful. It was empowering. Hundreds of thousands of people, it looked like, taking to the street, marching two and a half miles from where I live, Roxbury, all the way to the State House, the Boston Common, applauding frontline healthcare workers on the way. One moment, somebody on a balcony was waving the rainbow flag. Everybody stood up, cheers, applause, filled the city streets. It really was a time that reminded me of there are more of us than them. You know, there are more of us than them. There are more of us who want a better future. There are more of us who want equality. There are more of us who recognize systemic racism, racial injustice. There are more of us. We are the majority. And that's what that demonstration made me feel in Boston. And it was so empowering. And of course, you know, the media afterwards only shows the riots that took place afterwards. And, you know, that that says it right there about this country. Our coverage of protests about racial injustice only further highlight the racial inequities that we have because 77% of newsroom employees are white. So just 
what the media focuses on with these protests uh, says a lot as well about the inequities in our society. And, you know, Akil said it. This is a time to be enraged. No matter the, This is a time to be angry. You can be angry at a lot of things. You know, I am enraged that our president, and he used that term exceptionally loosely, uh, president in name only, but, you know, tear gassing peaceful protesters for a stupid photo op in front of a church where he holds the Bible upside down? What is that? That's not, that, that doesn't exude strength. It's another sign of cowardice. Another sign of cowardice. Everybody who took to the streets this week, everybody who's still taking to the streets, has far more conviction in their pinky finger than Donald Trump has in his entire obese body. What a week it's been. What a week it's been. It just feels different. It feels different. I think the coronavirus has exacerbated a lot of the inequalities we see. People are out of work. They're angry. Their government has failed them. COVID, as we've talked about extensively on this show, has hit minority communities and marginalized communities far greater than zip codes with high income levels. Black and brown communities bearing the brunt of it, not just from a health perspective, but economically as well. Only 12% of black and Latino owned, uh, Latinx-owned businesses have received all of the PPP that they requested. So COVID has only further exacerbated our inequalities, and I think you have to view all of these protests in that lens as well. So it's a time to be angry. It's a time to be enraged. It's also a time to act. Akil Patterson has a lot of great ideas. He's coming up on the other side. It's the Sports Geeky Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the Sports Kiki Podcast. I am uh, very uh, excited to speak with our guest this week. He's a major part of our OutSports family. Uh, he was profiled in OutSports way back in 2010. That's like another decade. Uh, Akil Patterson is a former collegiate football player, Greco-Roman wrestler. He's in Baltimore. He's a community activist and organizer there as well. Akil, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. You left out the big pimpin part, but I can, big, I, we can move forward. <laughs> self-described big pimpin, Akil Patterson. <laughs> so you were running for uh, city council for the 13th district in Baltimore. Your election was this week, but uh, I understand there were some uh, issues with, with voting. Uh, just explain kind of what's been going on in Baltimore and, and, and your race. <laughs> Uh, so uh, in, uh, in April, on April 28th, Baltimore in the state of Maryland had a special election to replace uh, the, um, the, the, the legendary, the uh, incomparable Elijah Cummings, God rest his soul, um, who was a friend, um, he and his wife. Um, but as uh, they were trying to replace Elijah's seat with, with Kwasi Fume, eventually got the seat and was elected. Um, they had multiple errors and people didn't get to receive their ballots. There weren't polling places open. It was just a big mess. And so we knew that we had a June 2nd primary vote by mail entirely. As of April 28th, we were told it was going to be an entirely vote by mail. Yep. Um, then there was a lawsuit by the ACLU. And so they said they were going to, they were going to open up a few locations for people that really needed to get there. Um, and so, okay, most people said, all right, we'll, we'll wait for our ballot. And the state, in its wonderful uh, thought process, said, let's make Baltimore City, the city we just had an issue with in April, 
the last city that we send ballots to. Um, and so Baltimore started to receive their ballots anywhere between May 23rd and May yesterday. Yeah, so, right? yeah May 23rd and yesterday. So, so June, about, June 4th. Yeah, June 4th. We're talking two days after the election. And so May 23rd and June 4th. The ballots were supposed to arrive on May 23rd. They were supposed to be sent out the 12th of May from a company, by the way, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But that's a, that's just a coincidence. Um, yes. They didn't. They, and apparently, they uh, they said on on Sunday, on Sunday or, or Monday night, they said there were 115,000 ballots that had been returned, and everyone was so excited. And then when they went to go do the math on all the ballots, those 50, there were 15,000 ballots, 17% of all returned ballots at that period were returned to sender, not returned ballots as in somebody filled them out. So the state let 15,000 ballots sit around for a week and just was like, yeah, these are ballots that we're going to count. No, those are 15,000 ballots that were returned to sender. And they were like, well, we couldn't find the people because you didn't try. So, so what's Baltimore, so... Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, so Baltimore essentially lost all of this. Uh, there were 15,000 people that were uh, unable to really vote. Jeez. And how many were affected in your district, the 13th district, where officially you finished third? Who knows? And actually, officially, nothing has happened because it hasn't been certified yet. Right, 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 right. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, so we don't know. But then in another district, oh, you want to hear about this one? This is a good yeah. ass kicker. In another district, they threw out 3,000 ballots saying there was an error. Yeah. There was an error on the ballot. But then they were like, but it only happened in this one district. And we're all like, well, then how do you know it only happened in one district? Jesus. What a mess. So, yeah. so, so, so where you, Linda Lamone? <laughs> well, Linda, so, so, so explain that. She's the woman in charge of elections in the state of Maryland. Yeah, so Linda Lamone is the election, she's the director of elections for the state of Maryland. She is appointed by a kind of like four person panel mm-hmm. because it has to be nonpartisan, you know. Well, guess what? She essentially has been um, a very close friend to uh, our former Senate president, who uh, is the equivalent of the Tetron Don John Gotti in the state of Maryland. This guy's untouchable. (laughs) Uh, And only thing I can say is luckily Mike Miller, the former Senate president, was a friend of mine. He loved Maryland football. So I met him when I was like 16, and he's always been a friend. But Mike and Linda, Linda's been untouchable for over 20 years. 23 years she's had a position. This is not the first time that she has met, royally messed up an election, and she's still not fired. And for me, this has nothing to do with a kills election, because I get it. You know, it was going to be a hard climb for a gay black man in a 68% African-American city like Baltimore to win. It just was. You know, we knew we were taking a big shot. But at the same time, we showed everybody that it could be done. We outraised everybody. We didn't take any corporate money. We simply just outworked people, right? And so I always say, look, you can beat me, but you ain't gonna outwork me, you know? And plus, I'm not defeated. I'm only defeated if I give up. Right, exactly. And I'm reading here that that city council, uh, I guess it was district- um, One. 
District one, right. The, the, the current, uh, the, the, the incumbent who's been in the city council for four years only got 39 votes, um. according to the tally. That's insane. Where, where, so, so where do we stand now with the state of these elections and what comes next, if anything? Lawsuits. Lawsuits. Okay. Lawsuits. So that's a lot, a lot of legal action. So Brandon Scott is running for Baltimore city mayor um, and Sheila Dixon, who was convicted of uh, felony and stealing from the city over a decade ago are now in a close tight race. But they say, as of today, they, they said they were going to count 40 about, they said they were going to count 40,000 ballots oh, today. Man. And they, and, and, they opened yeah. the box. No. And then, and then, it, that number doubled from forty to eighty thousand. They found forty more thousand ballots today. Like this doesn't make any sense. It's like it's like uh, what is it? John John F. Kennedy's dad is sitting in the Chicago stuffing mailboxes <laughs> and ballot boxes for his kid. I mean, it, it's fucking unreal. Like you you can't make this shit up. It's it's crazy. And and I think it's important. This is an important story for all of our listeners. And as you mentioned, even the the the, uh, the results in the mayoral race are in dispute as well right now. But I, I think this is an important story, Akil, for all of our listeners because you know, come November, the coronavirus pandemic is still going to be here. Scientists say we're going to get a second wave. We're going to have mail-in voting. We're going to have uh, the irregularities we're seeing in Baltimore. I mean, this is something that. We need to be prepared for as we make as we make it towards November. It could be, I think, the X factor in the election. Which Absolutely is sad. Yeah. So let me tell you. So old Donnie boy, who's hiding in a bunker underneath the White House right now, is is scared shitless uh, of uh, kids of kids with uh, rocks and and and, and chocolate milk. Um, ultimately. He kept saying it's going to be voter fraud. Now, it wasn't voter fraud. It's voter suppression that this is. That's why the Republicans are scared of it. Think about this. Your mail, if someone touches your mail, it is a federal crime that they could serve 10 years for. I mean, that's if they touch it. Right. So your mail is safer than you're actually going to the fucking voting box. Because guess what? Your ballot comes to you. And then you can hand it right back to that mailman the next day. It's well, safer to do that. Yeah, and, and I mean, Trump has voted by mail. Nearly every member of his cabinet, we found that, has voted by mail. But I mean, Trump often says the quiet part out loud. And what he said once was, you know, if, if more people can vote, a Republican would never be elected again. And I mean, again, that, that kind of says it right there and, and company, and embodies that party's attitude towards voting access, but that's really scary, Akil. And uh, yep. it's, uh, I'm very frightened as to uh, the, the state of our elections in November and, and whether and how they'll be held. It's, it's really scary to me. Yeah, brother, I, I'm, you know, brother, I, I think the way I think of things now in, in this uh, time that we live in, it's less about being scared and it's more about just being enraged. And well, right. I mean, this sounds like a perfect segue if you really think about it. Yes, please go ahead. What's 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 well? What's been going on? So you're in Baltimore. You're a community activist in that city. You mentioned you were running for city council. You would have been the first uh, openly LGBT member of city council. But what's going on on the ground in Baltimore? And just what are your thoughts on what's transpired over the last 10, 11 days in this country? Oh no, it's been longer than that. So Ahmad was killed. What almost? Uh, he was killed in February. 
Well, right. Well, I, I mean, it's it's right. really yes. Yeah, I mean, it really gone on for four hundred years, of course. But uh, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> yeah. Tell you, Montel in February. Brianna, Corey, talk about now. Um, we're talking about Floyd, George, uh, George Floyd uh, in Minnesota, which kind of kicked off the riots. But you know what? It really wasn't George Floyd or a mob that really kicked this off. It was, and I don't know her name, it was the Becky in Central Park. Oh, Amy Cooper. Whatever her name is. We just call her Becky around here because they're all the same. Not Karen? Because, because no, no, we call them Becky. Uh, around here, we call them Becky. Like Karen, Karen, I guess, is New York. But Becky is what we call them here in the Baltimore, D.C. area. Um, but yeah, it's like, so Be- Becky, whatever her name is, cause we don't say their names cause we don't give them that power. But, uh, she, she, she started this all off because guess what? She did exactly what, um, and we can relate this back to sports. We can relate this back to sports. Definitely. She did what a white woman, what white women have done to black athletes in the past multiple times. She was, she was willing to make a false claim so she could yep. get that man away from her. Because she did not like what he said to her. Wasn't that he had done anything wrong? By the way, he's a gay Star Wars or Star Trekky. You know, he is like if if we were to have a nerd scale, he would be off of it. Basically, yeah, yeah. He he invented the first gay Star Trek character for a comic book and a bird watcher too. Yeah, I'm like, dude, this guy is so. This is this is when you know that what black men go through in America is ridiculous. Like people like me, I mean, and you know, I'm a big guy. I'm I'm six three. I'm well over three hundred pounds. Uh, I got a I've got a light demeanor when you meet me, but but when you see me, but when you see me walk into a room, it's like, oh my god, it's so big. Oh, what, what's gonna what's he gonna do? You know. And so this is what black men primarily in this country go through. Black women, on the other hand, in this nation, aren't heard. They're told to shut up and sit down. And then when they die or they get murdered, um, they essentially just kind of like their name gets thrown in with a bunch of other stuff. When really they are one of our most um, marginalized. No, they are our most marginalized community. Because guess what? Even in a movement where we're talking about Black Trans Lives Matter, Black women are still being murdered as well. So black women across the board. So regardless of how they identify as trans or cisgender, black women are on a chopping block. They are being hunted as well. The only difference is is black women do a lot better job at fighting back than black men can. Because we are filled with so much rage and anger, we end up getting shot. You know, black women will find a way to like, part of analyze that anger and they will work towards a better future for all of us but when it comes to to black men we're we're just you know we're we're just going to be shot and so i think that this country right now is going through a moment where it's finally waking up to things that i have been like i've been saying this for years and you know sid sid wade and i used to get in the argument and sid ziggler the founder of uh Sports and obviously Wade Davis, um, who is at Netflix. And, you know, I, every time I turn on Netflix, I'm like, well, apparently Wade's doing his job now because all I see is black movies. But, uh, <laughs> but, but what I did notice is like, hey, like we, we used to get into arguments about how black people are represented and what the real argument is for our communities, like especially the LGBT community and being black and, um, we all have different opinions, but I think we all come to recognize now. It's like, look, 
This nation is very racist because we don't talk about things. I think anyone who's ever met me knows that I don't, I don't care if you don't like my idea. Because guess what? If, I, if we share our ideas, I might be coming up with a better idea 20 minutes later but when I leave the room after I'm done arguing with you. You know, right. pride, pride comes before the fall in most sentences. And uh, that's where I think we as the LGBT community have to start talking truth to power. We have to say it's not until it's not until Stone, the Stonewall movie came out that, you know, we started uh, rep, uh, recognizing um, in a larger sense, um, Marsha B. Johnson, you know, right. So we didn't recognize her as one of the, the leaders of Stonewall. But the movie just had a bunch of white guys in there going, like, we're taking on the streets. It's like, but it wasn't just white men. It really wasn't white men because the white men were inside of the bar. There were black people and brown trans people outside of it. Yeah. So that's where the, 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 the fight started in the streets because there were people that weren't allowed inside. There was still racism in the LGBT community, and we ourselves have never addressed it. Um, in, in the city of Los Angeles, <coughs> excuse me, in the city of Los Angeles, um, there was uh, Mr. Buck, who was paying black yep. men who yep. were, you know, marginalized and, 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 and they were doing survival sex. He was yeah. forcing them to smoke meth. He wasn't yeah. forcing them to smoke meth. They were encouraged through financial gain to smoke meth. Yeah. And that's kind of like me, you know, and everybody knows that I used to love the, the cocaine back in the day. That's like me going to a party and somebody putting a pile in front of me going, Akil, please don't touch that. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, I won't touch it. Like, it's a pile. I'm, you won't miss a little bump here or there, you know? And I think that's where these guys were. They were like, well, when we were put in these situations, he injected them, this video of it. You know, that's the praise indifference of anything. But it took, it took Los Angeles County with a gay mayor, I'm sorry, Les, no, Los Angeles with a gay mayor, what, two months to arrest this major Democratic donor? And again, it's not that he's a Democrat, it's just that he was a piece of trash. Right. No, the, 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 Ed, Buck, the, the Ed Buck story is enraging. Uh, you yeah. talk about that. And, and I think it's very important you mentioned racism in the LGBT community and really the fact that you know, gay culture, you know, white gay culture, if you will, is entirely appropriated and stolen from not just black people, but black trans women. I mean, really, we have to thank for all the culture that we steal today. <laughs> Most people steal, you know, I don't, I don't do the yes, bitch, but yeah, they, they, they say that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> queen. Yeah, yeah, yes, queen. I'm sorry. Yeah. But all that stuff, I, you know, all of it comes from somebody else. And it comes from the ballroom scene, which everyone that knows me knows that I try to stay away from the ballroom scene for different reasons. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is a community within our community. And that's why I think we have so many, and I get it, like, you know, when we talk about sexual expression, sexual freedom, there are going to be people that have kinks, right? There are going to be the leather community, the ballroom scene. And again, I get that because that is what you're into. That is your expression. That is your art form. That's like you and I, like we, like when we sit around on Friday nights, when we had our zoom calls, um, you know, it was just, we wanted to talk about sports with other people. You know, we were just missing yeah. our, our athletics, you know? So for us athletic junkies, that's our world. And that's what we have. And so we, we understand more. And I think athletes understand or people that are in the sports understand more so than most diversity because we have to go from team to team, 
You know, when you're in eighth grade, you're not going to be on the same team that of all the guys and girls that you played with. You might end up on a team that, you know, you don't know anybody, you know, by the time you're in college or, or by the time you're in senior in high school. So we, we, we adjust quite rapidly um, as a sports LGBT world. And I think one of the things we also do very well as a sports LGBT world is that we, we can address racism because we've seen it before. You know, we know that in the locker room of a baseball team, that, let me give you a statistic. Back in 1981, yeah. the Major League Baseball was, um, was 18.7% uh, Latino African American. You know what Major League Baseball is today? Oh, it's way less, way less. Like 6.1. Right, yeah, it's terrible. The NFL, the reverse happened. It went from like 50% African American to 80% African American. Right. Yeah, but yet the ownership and the structures of these teams have remained primarily white, and the leadership primarily white. So athletes have always had this kind of internal locker room conversation about racism, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you you attest to that at some point playing with uh, being in sports with African Americans. Like you've had friends that said stuff like that. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, cool. and I mean, and we see that all the time in sports. You look at you know the Rooney Rule changes in the NFL. There's only what like. Uh, two, three black head coaches in the league out of 32. It's, you know, fewer general managers. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and about sports, you know, one thing that we've seen over the last, you know, several weeks is white athletes finally standing up with their black peers and also uh, advocating for racial justice, social justice. I mean, when Colin Kaepernick knelt, as you know, Akil, only about a handful of white players joined him around the league. Um, it feels like something is a little different now on the whole. What, what's your take on, uh, on that? Drew Brees sucks. Well, he does, yes. Drew Brees yeah, aside. Can't, can't culture. No, I think the, the take is, is that um, it goes back to what most, most people were saying. They were like, don't focus on the action. Focus on the why. Why is Kaepernick taking the knee? Why is he standing up at this point? Why is he doing this instead of, well, this is disrespectful. I get it. But a protest is not meant to make you comfortable. Right. I mean, two-thirds of Americans disapproved of Martin Luther King. Yeah. You know what? As a matter of fact, our, 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 our Democratic nominee, Joe Biden, voted against Martin Luther King Day the first time. Wow. Yeah. A lot of people voted against it. Malcolm X was seen as a radical primarily most of, I mean, he would have been 97 this year. And, and I, everyone that, anyone, and I, and I tell the story all the time about, uh, about my own, my own, you know, my father as a child would, he ate dinner with Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. My family marched with Malcolm X. Like, so we have a history in my family of being, you know, quote unquote radicals anyway. But, um, we, as a community, always said, you know, we had to march for Martin Luther King Day. That wasn't just a given. And then you've got guys like Trent Lott that wanted to quote him towards the end of his term. Like, people who were, like, you know, Harry Reid. I mean, you've got people that quote Martin Luther King, like, oh, he was a great guy. We're the same people back in the 70s that were like, he's a terrorist. <laughs> you know? the six, I mean, how can we go from 1918, 1927, to 1968, all within a uh, three-week span in this, in this country. 
I mean, we got the, the flu, the bird flu. I mean, we got the the, the flu. We got the, some weird flu pandemic. We've got uh, well, we've got lynchings and mob mentalities, and then we've got riots. Well, and, and I think that anybody who's looking at these protests and how they're unfolding, you have to also factor in the coronavirus pandemic and the and in the and in, in, in the impact that's had and how it's ravaged through as you know, black and brown communities in particular, uh, facing the brunt of this thing, not just from a health perspective, but from an economic perspective as well. I mean, that to me is such a strong backdrop to these protests as well. You can't ignore it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We can't ignore it. So let's talk about reparations. The federal government told us, told African-Americans that reparations would be too costly. Reparations if we would have done it before COVID-19, it would have cost the, the federal government anywhere between about $3 trillion and about $7 trillion, right? We just spent right. that. We just spent it. Crazy. So don't tell me it's not possible anymore. Stop lying to me. I think that's the most important thing right now is that people are tired of being lied to. And I'm also, and you, and you as a white man should understand that you should be tired of your friends being lied to. You should be tired of people giving us false statements every time you open your mouth. Well, and it's the police, too. I mean, let's just look back at the police report with the George Floyd death or the George Floyd killing. It did not uh, represent reality. And let's even look at what happened yesterday in Buffalo. Police shoved down that 75-year-old man. The police report said that he slept and fell. Yeah, and and then they said, and then they said, and then they didn't try to help him. And the one officer who did try to help him, he tried to call in. He was pushed. He was pushed. And also, I believe it, uh, in, in Philadelphia yesterday, um, there was a gentleman who clubbed a kid who was standing there. He was like they were trying to push him back or something. He clubbed the kid in the head. The kid grabbed his baton. But you know who that, the guy who clubbed him was? He's a freaking sergeant or lieutenant in the force. He's a ranking officer. So he started some shit because he couldn't control his anger. I'm telling you this now. I'm putting together, I'm drafting some legislation for the federal government. When I get off the phone here with you guys today, (laughs) I'll be talking with a major player. And I've already got a senator that's going to help sponsor it. So I've already been working. The day after the election, I was back to work. You know, that's how I am. That's how you go. (laughs) Hey, baby, that's how athletes are. You don't don't stop working. Never Um, stop. Yeah. And so... We were talking with a major player, and basically, we've looked at this. Most police officers, it's not that they're bad people. It's that they're placed into a bad situation, and they're stupid. And I'm going to say that. I'm just going to be very honest. When you tell me that you have to be 18 years old and have a high school degree to be a police officer, you're stupid. Because when I was 18, I thought I knew the world. (laughs) You know? Yeah. At 36 now, I'm like, I don't know anything. I don't know anything, you know, because I, that's what you learn. That's what college is for. And that's why I don't believe police officers should be high school graduates. I believe they should be at least associate degrees. Ooh. Two years of education past ah. high school gives you a fundamental base to yeah. start listening to people. And I'm talking about before you even enter the force, so you come with a different perspective. Because two years, from 18 to 20 or 18 to 21, Huge. those are big jumps, you know? You're, you're finally going to a bar. You can finally party with your friends. And guess what? You do get in trouble when you're 21. You do make mistakes. But instead, what we do is we allow 18-year-olds to join the force. 
who then become officers, who then before the age of 21 are protected. And so it creates this level of privilege amongst the force. Like, oh, well, we just go into the bar. We just show our badges. I was down in Georgia last year, uh, and uh, I'm going to try not to give away my friend. He is a police officer, and he said, look, we're going to get drunk. And, he, and everyone knows I don't drink that much anymore. Um, and so he hands me his badge. He says, just show this to everybody, and we'll get into every club for free. <laughs> well, damn if he wasn't right. I, I, I told him, I was like, can I get one of those? Yeah, you know, can I get one of these guys? <laughs> right? Where do I get one? Yeah, yeah where do I get one? But he goes, it happens all the time. He goes, they just want to let us in. He goes, they'll let you in for free everywhere you go. And you don't stand in line. I was like, so this is like being Nicki Minaj. I finally know what it feels oh. like to be Nicki. You know, I don't stand in line. I just, I just put on my shades and I walk in. I show my badge. That's a good you look know, for you. So. I can, I can see you as Nikki. That's not a bad look. <laughs> uh, what a, so, so tell me about the legislation that you want to draft. So the, the legislation we're, we're working on is actually one where I would work with uh, the national governing bodies of combat sports. So wrestling, judo, aikido, anything that's in uh, the national in, in combat sports. And they would then work with police officers. And primarily, their African-American representation of athletes would work with police officers. Because there are... 3,000 different ways that I could take a mob down or I could take uh, George Floyd down and not kill him and put handcuffs on him or at least have my partners put handcuffs on him, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't take four people sitting on the back of a man's neck with their hands in their pockets for nine minutes. Eight minutes and 34 seconds. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah. that's what we're proposing is that we take the, we take the combat sports and we actually write it in and we create LEO programs, which is law enforcement uh, officer trainings uh, using our national governing body. Because I believe that if athletics can have a role in this way in helping our country heal, it should come from athletes that understand how not only how combat works, physical hand-to-hand combat, but also what it feels like to be the, on the other side, to feel fear, to you know, have a, uh, have, uh, have a, a, a representation that, that is a different mindset. I, I know it's very hard for some people who might be listening to this podcast to understand. The talk in my home versus the talk in your home were different. The talk in my home was how not to get killed and how not to be beaten by police, how not to wear jeans that sag low, how not to wear certain clothes, how to speak the right way. When people say, oh, you're so well-spoken, most of that's because my parents didn't want me speaking in bonics. They didn't want, to speak, they didn't want me speaking slang like my cousins were in New York. My parents <laughs> were trying to raise me so I didn't get hurt. So uh, there's a number of things I want to go to from there. But first, quickly, to go back to the legend. So, but oh, police yeah. already do receive training, though. So how would this be No, different? no, no. So Leo training right now is done by them. They right. randomly select somebody, they get in. This is, this is someone making decisions for the officers. So instead of the police officers getting that LEO law enforcement training on their own, it's the national governing bodies working with the African-American athletes to right. get them to go talk to these officers about their behaviors. And again, it's not just 
again, we say officers as a blanket statement, not because black officers are better than white officers. All police need retraining. They need reprogramming. They need reconditioning. And the reason why everyone's calling for the abolishment of the police forces is because there's no accountability. No accountability. No. You know, there's none. I mean, at least in, at least in southern states where they still have sheriffs in a lot of places, the sheriffs can be, you know, fired every couple of years if people show up to vote. Right. But in most places, there's no accountability. No, they're appointed positions. And what is your reaction, Troy? We've seen the, the, the harrowing video a million times of Derek Chauvin for nearly nine minutes kneeing on George Floyd's neck, knowing he's being filmed. The officers around him know they're being filmed as well. And it's killing with impunity. What, what's your reaction to that and that phenomenon where it seems like even being on video isn't stopping these police officers? Well, we need to get rid of qualified immunity. Get rid of qualified immunity and require the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police, to start carrying their own liability insurance and eliminate that cost from the city. Mm. That's what we need to do. Because ultimately, what people are saying is, oh, you didn't know I would take the job. You know what? People join the military for $19,500 and a free room and board. Right. Don't tell right. me somebody won't be a cop for less. <laughs> well, Don't tell me that. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you look at the funding, too, and you mentioned the defund police movement, and that's gained a lot of traction, obviously. But, I mean, you look at the bloat, the budgets are Los Angeles. And I hope people understand, too, that a lot of people my age, Akil, are very fired up, and they're posting on social media, and they're attending protests, and that's great. But I hope everyone understands that Donald Trump doesn't set the police budget for your city. That is your mayor, who oftentimes is a supposed liberal progressive, like in Los Angeles, where 45% of the, bu the budget goes to the police. So I hope people understand that these decisions are made on the local level. And Democrats, to be honest, are awful on this as well. They're just as much to blame for the militarization of police as Republicans. Oh, yeah, you, you got damn right. Why do I need it? Why do my police, why do police force need to dress up like their military gear? Right. You're not playing army. We got an army for that. Matter of fact, if you look at the statistics, the National Guard being called in is far more less likely to commit violence against its own than the police officers are. Because the police officers, most of them, and I'll be very clear, let me just say this, they are chumps. They're the 19-year-olds that consistently always had something to say. They would always be like, you know, I'm, I'm the man, you know, I'm gonna, you can't beat your way out of a wet paper bag. You know, but yet you're going to try to be a police officer so you control other people's lives and you can't control your own. That's yeah, it's uh, it, it seems like there is something with the mentality. Um, I want to I want to also talk about what's going on in your city, Baltimore. Obviously, it was Freddie Gray happened there. Um, what's the scene been like in Baltimore? And you mentioned before we started recording there, but it's been very peaceful protesting in your city. Absolutely. Uh, that's because we have been doing what is called community policing. Um, there's a gentleman here in Baltimore, a good friend of mine, Ray Kelly. He has been about, uh, he calls it the CCP Community Policing Project, where community members actually engage with other community members to try to stop crime and stop violence. Novel idea. Yeah. The police officers should start doing the same. It is working towards community policing, working with people within inside of those communities to make sure things happen. We need to start funding community-based solutions. That means those nonprofits that are doing the groundwork 
that have relationships with people. Like, listen, I, in Baltimore, we have high poverty, high concentrated poverty. And so that means when you have high concentrated poverty, there's going to be crime because poor people steal. Rich people who have big houses and cars, they don't steal from one another because they don't want to go to jail and lose what they have. Poor people don't have anything, they're trying to survive. So we need to start making sure that those people that are on the ground in those communities have those conversations with their neighbors, that they create those communities that are needed, and that they have the funding necessary. In, 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 in like Los Angeles County, uh, Los Angeles City, I'm sorry, um, I think it was like 10 million people or something in the county, um, they spend $437 per person. Baltimore City is almost double that. Like we're almost like $1,000 per person in the city for our police department. We spend over $500 million, $506 million in the original budget every year. And then we have to do a supplemental budget of another $50 million because they, they, they have a, a overtime because they say they don't have enough police officers. Well, it turns out that was just a criminal activity by the gun task force, but that's a whole other story. The Wire is real. You should watch. <laughs> I, 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 took, I, I took a class on The Wire in college. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, my, yeah, like, any good, like any good white liberal worth my salt to kill, I am an expert on The Wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I tell you what, hey, you wanted to connect this back to the LGBT community? Yeah. Watching The Wire was my first representation of a black man that was masculine and gay. Omar. That, Omar. That's it. That was the only representation I ever saw of myself. Is a really? criminal. Like of a masculine black man that was very uh heteronormative center. That's yeah. what I saw. He so was that's uh, why I said it. He was, yeah. he was complex. He was complex. They all were. Stringer yeah. Bell, yeah. complex guys. Um yeah. but, that's but Omar so- was Omar was the was the most that was the best thing because back then it was like it was queer as folk. The Wire or Noah's Ark, and let's just be honest, I wasn't watching Queer Folk or Noah's Ark, so yeah. So, so Akil, so I want to go back to uh, community policing. You explained a little bit, but tell us a little bit more about that and why that's different than what we see in other cities across the country. So, community policing, like I said, uh, like my a friend of mine, Ray Kelly, here in Baltimore, has been doing this work for years. Um, he's been incarcerated. He's been on the streets. He's one of the like he's one of those people that are like. He changed his life, gave it to God. I mean, just one of the great humans of this world. And he uh, talks about making sure that there is investment from the community into the policing of the cities and in of the communities. And so that means that the police, the, that the community has, uh, there's, a, there's an independent civilian review board for all uh, complaints against the police department. Yep. That there are community-based measures that the police department must meet. As in, they have to like they have to give back. They have to do the PAL programs. They have to um, work with and police athletically is what a PAL program is for those that are not aware of it. Um, uh, where they do sports, uh, they have to you know it, you know they have to do the reading programs. They they have to actually be part of the community. And there's also a requirement that a majority of the force should start to live in those cities. There was a time, and I think this is why New York City does slightly better than Baltimore, is that majority of the people in New York City that are officers, they live in the city. Now, they may not work in the same borough mm-hmm. that, 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 that they, uh, they may not work, they may not live in the same borough that they work in, 
but they still are there. So people see them. In Baltimore, there's none of that. These people are like, at the end of the day, they just leave town. And they head all the way out to, um, you know, I call it Pennsylvania, um, the, the rural part of Pennsylvania, which is only about an hour's drive, 45 minutes from Baltimore. So it's rural, you know, parts of Pennsylvania, you know, Gettysburg, sorts of places like that. Sure. Um, and, and, and they have no stake here, which also causes part of our poverty here in Baltimore is because economic empowerment means that your money stays in your city. But if your money leaves your city, it never comes back. Guess what? That's, that's stealing from your community. And so the, that's why community mm-hmm. policing is focused on ensuring that, yeah, everything, if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. And that's why Kill Daily stays away from it. But this makes sense. If police lived in their neighborhoods, money stays in your city, and that means it gets circulated in your community, and that means more people benefit. But when it leaves your community constantly, and then they say, well, you poor people, it, it's blaming people for poverty that essentially they're part of. They are part of the systemic racist practices of a police department that was founded uh, essentially to keep neighborhoods safe from, you know, ward bosses. Right. And, and that's so true. And it just makes so much sense. You know, police officers are supposed to be members of the community. So why don't they live in the communities they police? You look at Minneapolis, 8% of Minneapolis police officers live in the city. That's it. If more did, maybe the tenor of that department would be a little different. Yeah. We all believe the same thing. It's across the nation. If you're going to do the job, represent your job. I don't have a job. Like, nobody wants to commute to D.C., right? You know, if you can avoid it, you do. But, and plus, with the COVID-19, I mean, working from home, I mean, I've, I've been preaching this for years. I mean, this is great. I told people we should have conference calls and Zoom meetings for decades. Um, <laughs> Ahead of it. But I, yeah, but I, I, I still believe, I'm, I'm actually kind of an introvert at times. Um, but when it comes down to it, if police lived in their neighborhoods, if they did the things that they were supposed to do, we wouldn't have these issues. So, Akil, the final thing I want to hit on with you is uh, what is the Akil? We've divulged some of it so far, but what? Are, where do we go from here? And if you're a listener to this podcast and you've been especially enraged over the last several months, several weeks, to use that word again, um, what are some tangible steps you can make in your own community? to start making a difference. Absolutely. Step number one, let's, let's all gather together, Democrat, Republican, independent, Green Party, Libertarians, and let's end qualified immunity from the federal government. Point blank, end qualified immunity that allows police officers to get away with the murders of both black, white, women, trans people without any replication. Like revocations, we have to end it. Qualified immunity's got to go. The second part: write your congressman, write your senator, and make your voice heard. Don't sit back idly by and just be a. Um, I'm gonna not cuss now. Be a social media whore. Okay, get off the couch, write that letter, and then show up to Congress and demand it. And if they don't want to do it, vote them out. And when I say vote them out vote them out and vote someone in that will do those things. We are, we are a nation that votes for people based off of name recognition. That is dumb. I wouldn't, I have a cousin that could, that works on wall street. He can make me millions. You know why I don't trust my cousin with my money. He is a criminal. And so I would never vote for him to be a finance director of anything. 
<laughs> make sure that you vote for people who aren't your friends, but are people who you believe in and that you trust to do the right thing. If you don't trust them to do the right thing, you're like, well, I just know them their whole life. Don't vote for them. Read up on every candidate. Make sure you review every document. And if you can't do it, then you call Akil Patterson. And it's, you can email me at Akil, that's A-K-I-L, at AkilforBmore.com. A-K-I-L, the number four, B-M-O-R-E.com. Email me, and I will review your documents. I will see where the mistakes are. Because, baby, we need to come together as a nation more than ever. This is not about black and white. It's about injustice. And as Dr. King once said, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And we must focus on that. Another step I would love people to take is join groups like the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, I encourage every white American to donate to the NAACP, the yep. National Action Network. And I also encourage you to donate to your local organizations. National is easy to give to because national gets all the attention, but donate to those small nonprofits that are trying to do this work, that are talking about bail reform, that are talking about police reform, that are talking about ending the unit rule, that are talking about um, community policing. <laughs> donate to them because they need help. They need lawyers. They need lobbyists. Like I said, I might be able to help a company or an organization for only so long, but I have to still feed my family. So donate to those small local groups, use companies, and then start talking about how we have racial equity. I want every city in America to start passing racial equity legislation. Baltimore did it under uh, our, our current city council president, Brandon Scott, a good friend of mine. Look into those pieces of legislation, pass racial equity. That means from contracts all the way down to how we hire people. It's not affirmative action anymore. It is racial equity. It is talking about making up for 500 years of systemic oppression. Systemic racism is not the same as racism. There is no reverse systemic racism in this country. Right. Racism is just like this idea. Systemic racism is what black people are referring to because it is, it is a long, it is how the system is set up. Madison v. Marbury was the case that gave the federal government our courts, their authority, right? And that I, was over, yeah. you know, that was three, yeah. Well, guess what? They, the same courts that made that case, like gave them the federal authority, also made me half of a person. Three-fifths of a person. Right. The same courts said that. The same right. courts also said that I needed the 13th Amendment to be a, a full person and vote. So guess what? Call on your federal government to abolish the 13th Amendment and let's restart this shit from scratch. I, as a black man, should not have to have a law passed every couple of decades, every couple of years to maintain my voting rights. Get rid of it. And then last night, Rand Paul, who blocked the lynching bill, oh, needs to be called out. Call enough. him out. Him and, him and Mitch McConnell need to fucking uh, go. The uh, enough of the white supremacy needs to go. Well, hopefully Mitch McConnell uh, gets ousted in November. Uh, hope so. That would be that, that would go a long way of solving a lot of problems in this country. No doubt about it. Um, Akil Patterson, great conversation. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, brother. We'll talk. Uh, isn't Akil just awesome? He is a ball of fire. I love his passion. 
and so smart, and his solutions make so much sense, and I especially wanted to have him on this week, not just for his great perspective, but because he really hammers home the point that change happens at the local level, change happens at the community level, and it seems like more and more people are getting that, they should get that, Uh, a great conversation with Akil Patterson, hopefully you all enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed being part of it, as always. And I say this every week, but it's especially true now as we move further into Pride Month. If you have any topic ideas, guest ideas, send me uh, a message. AlexDreamer1 is my Twitter handle. That again is AlexDreamer1. Thank you all. We'll talk to you next week.